0: Hello, and welcome to The Intersection. My name is Mark Riley, and I want to thank you for being with us. We're going to be talking about the assassination of the Haitian president with a very special guest, and a couple of other issues in shorter form, because our conversation with our guest runs pretty long, actually. But first, heartiest congratulations to 14-year-old Zaila avant the Scripps National Spelling Bee winner. She's the first African-American winner in the competition's 96-year history, and she hails from Harvey, Louisiana. Here's the interesting part. She's a basketball prodigy, and she does spelling as a side hobby. In other words, she's scary good. So good, in fact, that the president of LSU, Louisiana State University, has already offered her a full scholarship when she graduates high school. We'll be hearing more from this young lady in the future, for sure. Our main item today is about Haiti. The country is in a declared state of siege after its president, Jovenel Moise, was assassinated and his wife shot and injured. There's complete chaos in Haiti as there are two people who say they are the prime minister and one person who says they're the president. What to make of all this? By way of full disclosure, I've been to Haiti twice, both times to report on the inauguration of a democratically elected president. Jean-Bertrand Aristide the first time and René Preval the second. That was a long time ago, but some things in Haiti remain constant. The poor of the country remain in deep poverty, and many of their leaders in the 21st century have put billions of dollars in aid to the country right in their pocket. Interestingly, some Haitian American activists have questions about how a president who never appeared in public without very tight security ended up being killed inside a supposedly secure compound. I talked to longtime Haitian activist and founder of JMC Strategies, Jocelyn McCalla, who had some startling opinions about the assassination and its aftermath.
1: You're listening to the intersection of politics and culture with Mark Riley,
0: My guest, and it's a real honor to have him here. He is a longtime activist in support of Haitian rights. He's also the principal of JMC Strategies. A pleasure to welcome Mr. Jocelyn McCalla. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well, uh, Mark, and it's very it's very good to be talking to you today.
0: Let me start out by asking you some real basic, fundamental questions from our audience who may not know that much about Haitian politics. Who was Jovenel Moise? Well, uh,
1: Jovenel Moise, yeah, Moise. I mean, he uh, he was elected uh, president of Haiti in in a you know, very much disputed electoral process in 2016 and he was sworn in as president in 2017 on February 7 2017 to be exact um, he came out of nowhere uh, he's a member of uh, the party that was that was in power before he was um, and 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 the president of that party uh, and the leader of that party is a is a sort of a body Singer named Michel Martelly, Sweet Mickey. yeah, Sweet Mickey. Yeah, so he made a he made a fortune and a fame, and you know, as a body musician, you know, ready and willing to say anything uh, and do anything to please his audience. Uh, and so he was elected. So Sweet Mickey was elected in 2010, and Jovenel Moise was elected in 2016. Um, but. It, Election should have been held in 2015, but they were delayed because of controversy about the way the process was being done. The electoral council not being too kosher, uh, frankly, and and eventually they came up with something which which allowed the elections to proceed. But there was a, a was a very low turnout at that time, uh, less than and I would say about two to two hundred thousand Haitians voting. You know, so that just tells you that the country of about 11 million people, how, how in fact, the elections were not attractive to just about anybody. So he was ushered in. The 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 international community blessed him. They said, OK, now we are got an election. He is on a democratic path. We're going to do it. But going back to Jovenel Moise, he basically was a nobody. He, uh, he ran a... a a auto repair shop. Uh, at some point, um, he was uh, credited with being uh, "quote unquote" a serial entrepreneur. So, in other words, that 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 he tried a number number of businesses and he failed. But apparently, you know, at the time when he was introduced to the public, he was introduced as this wonderful, very successful uh, banana plantation. Uh, owner uh, whose exports to the to Germany uh, or, and to Europe you know uh, were you know, so big that he was going to bring uh, lots of uh, wealth and revenues and he was going to be able to generate all kinds of businesses that's how he was introduced to the public I personally was very skeptical because I mean if if anybody was going to do it would have been somebody who has been very well entrenched in the Haitian business circle, and he was just a nobody um, yeah. at the time. But anyway, so he was he was elected in 2016, took office on February 7, 2017, and and at that time the uh, Haitians said, hey, um, regardless of whether or not he was sworn in in 2017, the fact is that his term of office should have begun in 2016 except for the fact that the elections were screwed up. Therefore, you know, his term of office should have ended in 2021. <laughs> you following me so far? Oh yeah,
0: yeah. The Constitution yeah. allows for what? One single six-year term? Is that still the norm in it's here? The one, one single
1: five-year term.
0: Five-year term. Okay.
1: So by this logic, uh, if he was, if his term of office uh started formally in 2016 but you know obviously you know the 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 amount of the number of months that he that he um uh, was lording over the government did not equate to to 60 months and equated to less than 60 months uh he should have been but everybody everybody in haiti basically you know all the i mean the the uh the judges the judges, the lawyers, the Catholic Church, uh, the Protestant Church, you know, just about everybody basically said, Listen, Jovenel, you know, your term of office ends on February 7, 2021, and you should just prepare yourself. The fact that you did not hold elections either for, for the parliament or for local uh, elected councils and that were going to be running villages and cities all over Haiti, there should not be. A, a factor because you are responsible overall for main, making sure that Haiti was well governed and you haven't done that. So you should step out. He refused to step away. In fact, he basically said, listen, as far as I'm concerned, I was sworn in in February, in Fe, in February 2017. and Therefore, my term of office ends on February 2022. Two, mm-hmm. So there's been a dispute. Everybody in Haiti considered to be illegal, illegally occupying the office of the presidency. And But he, uh, along with allies in the international community that includes the United States mm-hmm. um, under Trump and Biden, that includes the, the Organization of American States, that also includes the United Nations, um, Canada and France and so on. Basically said, listen, you know, Haitians, you know, just live with it you know juvenile is going to go um uh out of office through an electoral process all that we care about is having an electoral process which will usher in a new president so to so get on with it get with it and and be happy and that's been some of the contention uh, so I've, I've in this short five minutes <laughs> I have uh, given you quite a bit here.
0: <laughs> you have, certainly have given, given people, I think, a lot to think about. But you know, Johnny, uh, from what I've been given to understand, uh, this president traveled with a huge contingent of security people. And yet a group of apparently extremely well-armed, and I must say well-financed people managed to breach his security. Was there security there, from what you've heard, uh, uh, on the night he was assassinated?
1: Uh, As far as I'm concerned, there was security there. Uh, I have have not heard anything different. Uh, This this whole assassination, uh, the story that that emerged from the government uh, of Haiti is full of holes, frankly. First of all, the fact is that you know, the only two people who were harmed during that so-called raid by uh, foreign mercenaries, uh, which is the Haitian story, a is the president and his wife. His wife was wounded and you know, she received three, three, she was hit three times um, mm-hmm. and he was riddled with bullets. Um, no one else, whether that be other members of his family, um, the people who were there as help, or the the guards that were uh, uh, assigned, you know, to, to task to secure the perimeter, none of these people were harmed. So the only two people that were harmed were the president, I mean, Jovenel Moise, and the, his wife. So that's so that's one thing that doesn't make any sense. Um, particularly when you know that there had been—I mean, everybody around the neighborhood reported that there was so much gunfire being shot out that, that there should have been far more people wounded. Uh, so, don't, number one, number two, as you know, uh, Jovenel Moise has never been without heavy, heavily guarded security people. Uh, I mean, every time that he that he traveled anywhere. Uh, away from his office or going from meeting to meeting, I mean, there were at least ten vehicles uh, loaded with very heavily armed you know, security guards uh, that were part of the contingent that traveled with him. You know, so and and from my, what I know is that there were at least five security gates that you had to go through before you you came through and. And, and in, within the perimeter where the president felt safe. So to me, I mean, it doesn't absolutely make sense that, that uh, such such a raid could have been done. Uh, and the only two people who were harmed was him and his wife. So all of that points to me as, as an inside job. Um, the Are sentence, you saying
0: he was set up, Johnny? Are you saying that, 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 that President Moise was set up?
1: Absolutely. I think, I, think, I think he was killed
0: by one of his own.
1: Um, and the, the information that we're getting right now from, from various sources are that the, the so-called mercenaries um, that were identified as, as people who were part of the plot to assassinate him were people who had been hired by the government of Haiti to provide security to a number of the government's dignitaries. So there was a first contingent of about 25 people. There was supposed to be a total number of about 100 people recruited from Colombia to to come to Haiti to provide security to the Haitian dignitaries. And and these people amazingly, I mean, and to me, there's another thing that doesn't make sense. The fact is that the Haitian police which would have allowed the raid to take place and, and without any harm to its personnel, then was so swift in identifying the perpetrators, you know, that they picked them up at a at a residence, you know, that was very much nearby. You know, so,
0: so that was so, in Peshinville, no?
1: That's correct. You know, well, that well, I mean, it's, it's a it's a an area called Pillerin which is between. Uh, which is up the mountain, but, but very much very close to where the president lived. You know, so they picked up these guys, you know, basically uh, without, without any, uh, any uh, um, uh, confrontation or, or effort by these guys to, to protect themselves. You know, wait so- a
0: minute. Now, let me stop you there for a second, because there was early word that four people who were part of the assassination team were themselves killed. Uh, d- do you buy that? Has it been verified as far as you know?
1: Well, the, only, the, one, the one thing that's been verified is that two of the people that identified as mercenaries were Cuban doctors uh, who were basically because they spoke Spanish um, and were light skinned, you know, were killed um, by, by security forces. Um, two other people, were allegedly Colombians were also were also killed in in a different area and and, um, and a, a few others were picked up by the by the population, which essentially as some I mean some people were uh, uh, partisans you know or or members of the skinhead political party you know which is Jovenel's party. Party,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Now let me ask you this. Uh, Because I know, you know, you as a pragmatist, this is going to be the first question you ask. Who benefits from these recent developments? Who benefits from the assassination of the president?
1: Well, I mean, the the one immediate person who benefits is a fellow who stepped in as a prime minister. Uh, But there's two um, of them, right? (laughs) Well, I mean, the the story gets a little bit more interesting. So try to follow me as we go through this. You know, so on Monday, uh, on, on Monday, the you know, President you know, Jovenel Moïse announced that he was replacing the, the Prime Minister that had served him for about you know, three to four months. Uh, his name was Claude Joseph. And he had named this uh, newer surgeon uh, as the new Prime Minister, Ms. Mr. Ariel Henry. Uh, so it was, it was uh, formally announced in the government's register. And, and, um, and Ariel you know started making statements and he was, he had the task of essentially forming a government and he was getting ready to come out and, uh, and announce what his government's policies and the people who would make up his cabinet were and so
0: on. Now, let he me stop that, you there for a second. What would, would part of his duties involve reforming the parliament because right now we're there 10 senators and pretty much that's it
1: no the, the, none of his duties included you know, reforming the parliament but he had the task of uh is, is forming a government that would essentially ensure that there's a transition to an elected government mm-hmm. uh down the road and that okay. that was his task um moise was killed on two on the early morning of wednesday morning um, uh, about you know, th- 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 this disagreement about the time when he was killed. And, uh, anyways, between one and two o'clock. Immediately after he was killed, the outgoing prime minister stepped in and announced that Maurice had been killed and that he was stepping in as a prime minister. He's very, he very quickly also appointed himself president of the country. Which That's not completely- Joseph? Yes okay so 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 that was completely <laughs> out of the way but he had the blessing of the UN representative uh, resident representative in Haiti. you know so as far as it's concerned he's a president and he started talking to a number of of uh representative of, of the United States government Canadian government French government and so on you know so you have so you have the situation with this guy essentially um, uh, it, it, Going back to your question in respect, who benefits? Well, he immediately is the one who benefits from it you know, because he's taking power illegally, uh, whereas he had, been, he had been technically deposed uh, the, 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 the day before. So he was not essentially supposed to be acting as prime minister. The new, the new prime minister obviously was designated and was named by Jovenel, Basically said, hey, listen, I am the prime minister, and therefore this fellow is illegal. Mm-hmm. So that's another factor. Today we learned that there's a new president that has been that has been named by the Senate. Um, now the Senate, which is technically supposed to have about 20 members, only has 10 members. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? so, so these 10 people met and said, okay. The president of the Senate is now the new president of the country, and he is the one who has the right to name the prime minister. And as far mm-hmm. as his, his name is Joseph Lambert, he's been it's you know, been a politician you know, for the last you know, 15 or 20 years, been involved with the Haitian Senate for, for, for however that long. Mm-hmm. And members of the Senate are not prohibited from seeking office you know, one, two, or, or three or four times. You know, so he, so he's been a, a senator he's sort of a uh, I mean I, I hate to characterize his behavior but he let's say that he's been uh, associated with drug trafficking with all kinds of wills and deals uh, that don't make any sense for or, or don't do any anything good for the average Haitian um, in, in Haiti. You know so you've got this fellow who steps in basically says I am the new president and I'm going to be, the one who is going to be dictating who is the prime minister. So, as far as I'm concerned, the new prime minister, the, 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 the incoming prime minister, Mr. Ariel Henry, you know, should be the prime minister. And, and um, to his credit, he has the support of a number of political parties.
0: <laughs> <You> now, <laughs> I, there are a couple of really interesting things in this because it, it sounds to me, if you just hear it on his face, that the nation is in a state of relative chaos. Uh, but have but you heard I, the, would, I would say it's complete chaos. Complete chaos, okay. Uh, have you heard the report that I've read about that said that killing uh, uh, President Moise was not the actual purpose, that they wanted to take him from his home and bring him to the National Palace? Is there any veracity to that or validity?
1: I'm not- I'm, I'm not sure. It only makes sense in a, if, if, uh, if the, the, the killing was, was in fact done by a group of mercenaries. But as I said, I doubt that the, the, the fact that the killing was done by a group of mercenaries. In fact, the Colombian press, press in Colombia, is reporting that the, the Colombians you know, who were put at the scene. Arrive about an hour after the killing, uh, and they were the ones who essentially uh, rescued uh, Madame Moise, the, the president's spouse, uh, from from the from the premises. Also, they released uh, their son and daughter, uh, who had been tied uh, by the perpetrators, and and the the. Brought, I mean, they brought the wife to a hospital where she could get um, uh, uh, treatment, and they released the kids uh, and secured their their persons. So uh, wait a minute, then, you're
0: saying that these were co- the Colombians did this? Right, and,
1: exactly. That's another that's another story
0: <laughs> to the line. Yeah, because I mean that. So that would imply that the Colombians were not the assassins.
1: Exactly. Absolutely. So that's who why, would be? Well, I I would say that it, it it is it was really from within his his uh, circle of people. Um, yet to be interrogated is the head of the of the of the security detail um, that, that 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 who has been very close to to Moise. Um, uh, there has not been any real investigation so far. We have no idea how many. Security guards were at the at the at the site during the the um, during the assassination.
0: At the residence, you mean?
1: Right at the residence. You know. So so the government has been quite silent. They're basically trying to focus the attention of the world and uh, and of Haiti on the so called foreign mercenaries who who um, from from uh, the various reports emerging out there seem to not have been mercenaries at all. Uh, they seem to have been under contract with the government of Haiti to provide security to members of the government. And they had been um, uh, holed up in the a, in a bed and breakfast uh, that was paid for by the government. Um, and they were so happy that they took pictures uh, memorializing, memorializing their presence in Haiti. That is not a... a the behavior of a death squad
0: now have these people most of them are they still being detained are they still locked up are they still uh being interrogated
1: while they're still being locked up whether or not they're being interrogated i don't know uh colombia has basically said listen we're going to be investigating this thing because it involves our national therefore we want to be part of the process of investigation and trying to figure out exactly what happened um, the FBI um, and, and, and Department of Homeland Services are sending people uh, yeah. down to Haiti as well you know, so that they want they're, they're going to carry out their own investigation. Um, so at, at some point I hope that this murky story you know will become much clearer but but frankly I am of the opinion. That, that as I said earlier that um, uh, it really is an ins- inside job. Uh, it could be a, 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 a very a dispute that, that went very bad. Um, I mean, Moise was not the easiest person to talk to. He was stubborn, arrogant um, and prone to, making, to exaggerating his, his achievements and his power. Um, in Haiti, so uh, yeah, he could have rubbed one of his guys the wrong way and basically said, you know, let's, you know, in a fit of rage or something, they could have killed him.
0: Let me ask you this: uh, I saw a video that purported to be outside the residence, and I heard a voice say that this was some sort of DEA drug enforcement administration uh, operation. Uh, right. well, obviously that would be the united states and the guy said it more than once um now the state department has categorically denied that what do you hear about that
1: well i mean i haven't heard anything different that, except that uh, i say to people let's listen and that uh, haiti has a large diaspora um, people you know, speak english very fluently yes Spanish very fluently. I mean, you've got, you know, I mean, the Haitians have been to Chile, to to uh, to Brazil, uh, to the Dominican Republic. Um, in the United States, I mean, I mean, as you can tell, I mean, I, I, I sort of speak uh, English very fluently. So, so if I yell D-E-A, somebody who's not familiar with me will say, hey, yeah, yeah it's in America you know, who's speaking here. Yeah, no. So I, so I, don't, I don't put a lot of premium on, on basically using that sound buyer you know, as a, a reason for to believe that the DEA was involved. I don't think the DEA was involved. No. But it could have been a way for these people who perpetrated the, the raid, who were involved in the raid, you know, to, basically order the Haitian police to stand down.
0: Are you surprised at all, Johnny, that they, that the I, I assume it's the Haitian government, uh, has asked for American assistance in this, and apparently American assistance in somehow keeping order. And there's a long, and I'm sure as you well know, uh, a long history uh, of U.S. involvement in Haiti that goes back well over a century. Are you surprised that the first people they called was America?
1: No, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, I think the the, the neighbor, there are two um, neighbors that are very uh, concerned about what happens in Haiti. The first first one is the Dominican Republic Mm -hmm. and and the second one is the United States. the United States primarily because anything that happens in Haiti then leads to a surge in people seeking refuge and asylum in the United States. Uh, and there's been a long history and, and that's how, that's how you and I met. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. A <long> time ago. <laughs> Very true. Very so, true. Uh, so I think, so, and, and the ISIS has been, and has intervened in Haiti and, and in contemporary Haiti for, for, <laughs> for several times uh, mm-hmm. in 1994, as you remember, when the President Clinton sent to about 20,000 troops uh, to restore. Uh, he and the President Aristide to office and basically forced the Haitian military at the time to stand down uh, under pressure. Um, back in 2004, um, they also uh, they didn't do it by themselves, but you know, together with France and Canada, they deployed troops after Aristide was kicked out of office and spirited out of, of the country again in 2004, and they deployed troops there. Uh, very, to be very quickly, uh, afterwards followed by UN peacekeepers. You know, uh, with yeah. Brazil taking the lead on this. You know, so to some extent, you know, the Haitian authorities understand that the United States' um, policy and decision weighs heavily on the behavior of its neighbors. And in, uh, in order to make sure that the United States, uh, uh, or, or that they stay, or they believe that they can stay in the good officers of the United States, they basically say, listen, why don't you guys come and help us and deploy troops? Now, let me say that at this point in time, most of, most of the Haitian political activists, uh, members of political parties and human rights organizations and, and civil rights organizations are basically saying to the United States, stay away. We do not want any military intervention from you, we can take care of this. And in fact, it was amazing to me, uh, Mark, mm-hmm. that w- after the news came out uh, that the, the where the Jovenel Moise had been killed, there was absolutely no rioting in the streets. You know, for the last you know three or four days, there hasn't been any rioting in the streets. Even the criminal gangs who had been active uh, during, uh, for the last six months in, 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 in harming and killing the people you know, that they, they stood down. So they stood,
0: was, See, this is interesting. You say that because the general perception here, uh, and, and this includes reports in various newspapers, including the New York times, I must say, right. is that the gangs have been running wild since, uh, uh, the assassination, and you're saying that's not necessarily the case.
1: No, that's not true at all. That's not true at all. In, in fact, the, uh, gang leaders had promised mayhem uh, about three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, they had promised that they were going to move on into areas where they had not been moving on and that they were going to be um, uh, starting, quote-unquote, a revolution. They haven't done any, any anything of that sort. No, so, so in fact, so in fact, you know, uh, talking about again, if if they had committed, and they had warned, in fact, uh, uh, Jovenel Moise that they would be uh, gunning for him. So, if they had done so, they would have taken credit. They did not take take credit at all for the killing.
0: <laughs> if you have one person who's saying, "I'm the president. I'm going to name a prime minister. I'm going to reconstitute the government," but from your vantage point, as an activist of many, many decades, who do you think is best positioned? Is there a political party that actually will end up acting? I mean, I've I read a story in the Times about this guy who, uh, who just bought a $3.4 million mansion in Montreal, for example. Right. Uh, and and you, know, you and I both have seen over the years how uh, people live in grinding poverty while a certain level of people in Haiti seem to make out quite well. So who do you think is in the best position to act in the true interest of the Haitian people here?
1: Well, I, I think that unfortunately the people who are in best position to act in the true interest of the, the people of Haiti do not have that kind of a clout and do not have that kind of money to wield over. You know? So uh, essentially Haiti remains a very unequal society in which, you know, the gaps are so huge that you have a very small number of people who have been able to use their position to grab power, to grab, you know, um, to pilfer the state treasury uh, and so on. You know, so, you know, so it's really about whether or not, there's going to be a very strong popular movement that, that, that emerges and, and really decides that it's gonna take power in a way that is democratic um, uh, or, or satisfies or meets the needs of the majority of people. Uh, but you have very, various challenges. You know, one of the challenge is really that you have so many people who are co-op and who are wielding a huge amount of money. I mean, including the, the fellow that, you, that you've identified um, uh, or the New York Times identified as one of the guys who who profited handsomely from his association with the skinhead party um, in Haiti. Uh, You have people like that. I mean, in fact, fact, as you probably know, about $3 billion uh, of foreign aid money vanished uh, from the Haitian state treasury. And that's one major demand of people in Haiti is to tell us where has this money gone and to try the people who, or to bring to justice, the people who stole that money. None of that has happened. You know, so obviously the people who stole that money do not have, do not uh, look forward to being, uh, uh, being being forced to testify before a judge or to hand over the ill gain and you know, the money that they, that they have. Be the know, so, there's gonna be, so there's gonna be a very, very, uh, they're gonna put up a, a good fight uh, and they're gonna to try to maintain the status quo. Um, most Haitian political parties uh, currently and most of the, the civil, civil opposition, civil society opposition say, what we need right now is a transition government. We cannot hold uh, elections in 60 days or 90 days. It's impossible. What you're gonna end up, if you do that, you're gonna have fake election and and elections that are again going to be uh, leaning towards people who have abused their office and abused power and and are corrupt. So what we want is a a government that builds confidence, builds um, credit with the people of Haiti, ensure that there's a climate that is conducive to elections so that when elections are held, not only is there going to be a massive popular turnout but that the, the the stakes are going to be made clear, the choices are going to be made clear, and and none of the shenanigans where uh, elections that are manipulated by foreign authority, the United States, has been primarily responsible for manipulating elections in Haiti for the last you know ten years, particularly since the uh, since the uh, 2010 earthquake. Um, uh, and people hope that if you have a transition government and they're pushing for that, then that government will be able to do what it needs to be done. You know, so that's why you know, the emergence, the, the that is that has emerged between who is leading Haiti at this point, is it going to be the, the head of the Senate uh, who has now been uh, named president by, by his peers? Is it going to be Mr. Claude Joseph or is it going to be mister Ariel Ari? Those are the, this is why, you know, solving this issue then will tell us where you know, we are heading right now.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the treasury looting. I never told you this story, but when we were in Haiti for the inauguration of Jean Bertrand Aristide, God, it seems like it's 100 years ago now. Uh, was that 1991? Um, yeah, 91. Um, there was the the loser in that presidential race was a guy named Mark Mazan who later passed. Right. And we were in a church, I think it's the church where there was a service after he had been formally inaugurated, Aristide. And there was a rumor going around then that there was only $92,000 in the Haitian treasury, total, everything. So you know, being somewhat impertinent and being a journalist, I asked Bazan, what happened? <laughs> Is it true? And if so, what happened to the money? Do you know his bodyguards pulled guns on me? No kidding. <laughs> no. In the middle of the church service. You said wrong question. Yeah, wrong. But you know what? I mean, to his credit, he told him to stand down. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. That was not uh, by nature, I think he was a banker. I don't think he was by nature a violent person, but I got to ask you one final question. Um, and and this, this really troubles me greatly. It appears as though there has not been a great deal of difference in terms of Haitians seeking asylum in the U.S. between Donald Trump's administration and now Joe Biden's administration. There's, I, I believe there was either uh, this past week or the week before, there were deportation flights going from the U.S. back down to Haiti. Are you disappointed in that? Because I know I am. I thought Biden would do better.
1: I also thought that Biden would do better. Uh, but he has. Uh, the, the people running the State Department have essentially adopted uh, wholly the policies, which was a non-policy. Of the Trump administration, so essentially they've they stuck to the following line: one, you know, we need, we want Haiti to hold election as soon as possible. Uh, the only way to move forward is to have elections. In the meantime, we are going to um, we are going to proceed uh, and and treat the Haitians who are seeking asylum in the United States the same way. The only different, the only the only noteworthy difference in that policy. Is the fact that under pressure, uh, Biden finally relented and extended and recast the the policy of temporary protected status uh, mm-hmm. for Haitians. You know, so so that you know you've got you know and, uh, and that policy was established in 2010 by President Obama. Uh, there's been a demand by Haitians, you know, to essentially re re, um, re reset the date when people would be uh, protected by temporary protected status. He has done that. Uh, and so that means that about, I don't know how many people uh, be- would benefit from it, but uh, it's fair to say that it's about 60 you to know, 70,000 people who will benefit who, who benefit, who are protected. But anybody else, anybody else who stepped in on the, the United States and seeking asylum is gonna, ha- is gonna ha- continue to have a very hard time making the case you know that they deserve asylum regardless and and that policy by the united states has been uh well it predates biden it it predates trump you know it was it it was followed and pursued by in the obama administration and down the road i mean i i go back to the reagan era (laughs) (laughs) i can tell you
0: i'm uh, telling you i'm telling you
1: Seeking asylum in the United States you know, has been a, a non-starter for Haitians for quite a while. We, 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 we won some some battles and we won some major battles uh, as a matter of fact, but but it's still uh, a, a climb, a stiff climb up that, that road.
0: Jocelyn McCallus, thank you so much for spending the time. This has been an absolutely enlightening conversation. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Mark, and it's good to, to catch up with you. Up next, New York City will have a new mayor next year and two candidates who are running and who won the primaries won both of them on a law and order platform. What is that going to mean for America's largest city? This is The Intersection. Wherever you are, stay tuned to The Intersection with Mark Riley. Join the conversation on my Facebook page at Mark Riley Media. Welcome back to The Intersection, glad you're with us. The results are in, and it's going to be Eric Adams versus Curtis Sliwa in November for the mayoralty of America's largest city. I happen to know both these men well, and it's interesting that both are hanging their hats on making the city safe in the wake of spiraling gun violence. Sliwa is given little chance in a city with overwhelmingly Democratic voter registration. Yet the overarching theme of this campaign is doubtless going to be crime. Adams beat a moderate technocrat in Catherine Garcia and a straight-up progressive in Maya Wiley. The margin was tight between Adams and Garcia, much tighter, in fact, than was first projected. The June 22nd primary was also the first shot at ranked choice voting, where voters were allowed to rank their candidates first to fifth. Eric Adams was a vocal opponent of ranked choice. I disagree with him on this. Ranked choice voting presents a political opportunity for communities that don't always feel their votes count. Turnout in the Democratic primary was at its highest since 1989. That is truly a hopeful sign. Assuming the winner of the general election seeks to govern by making driving down crime a priority, the question becomes, How will that happen? And that's something that concerns quite a few progressives. Some of them I've talked to are very nervous about the possible reintroduction of stop and frisk. Something, ironically enough, that before Eric Adams got into elected government, he was roundly involved in criticizing. Now he says he might bring it back, but certainly in a less noxious form than it was in the past before it was ruled unconstitutional. He says he can bring it back without the aura of prejudice. The question then becomes, can this in fact be done? A lot will depend on structural changes in policing. And the question of whether or not Eric Adams is prepared to make those structural changes. One good place to start is to stem the flow of illegal guns into the hands of criminals. Gun trafficking into New York isn't talked about much, yet it's an extremely lucrative business whose participants move around us and among us almost without visibility. And to his credit, Eric Adams has said, getting the guns off the street is in fact, one of his priorities. I believe when gun crimes are committed, the supply chain needs to be exposed. Where do the guns come from, have they been used in other crimes, and who put them in the hands of alleged perpetrators? Stopping and frisking kids on the street is one thing. Stopping crooks driving into New York with a trunk full of guns is one rung up the food chain and resources need to be committed to that. Now people ought to know that gun violence and crime is up all over the country and has been with the onslaught of the pandemic. This has made people of color, in particular, people that progressives take for granted in terms of their attitudes about certain things. Many in those communities, working people in those communities, reject the notion of defunding the police. I've said that before. Eric Adams says it loudly and roundly. And the fact of the matter is, that Black and Latino voters may not go and cast their ballots for people who aggressively advocate for defunding the police. Defunding the police has also become a political catchphrase for Republicans who use it against people who have no interest or intention of defunding the police. For example, like Joe Biden. There is probably no better time than this to really begin to implement progressive policing. That is zero tolerance for brutality while keeping zero tolerance for violent law There are some communities in major cities like New York where this type of policing is already happening and has happened for a while. Though some might disagree, I do believe Eric Adams can implement progressive policing. He'll need to if the fear of crime and the anger at brutality can both be addressed successfully. When we come back, Donald Trump tries to use the First Amendment to make war against big tech.
1: Join the conversation at Mark Riley Media on Facebook.
0: Welcome back to The Intersection. I guess nobody questions Donald Trump's need for attention. It's the most glaring element of his personality. I've said before that it pains me greatly to even talk about this so-called man. Yet his lawsuit against Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube has gotten him the attention he seeks, at least in the short term. Comedically, he has framed his argument around the First Amendment. For those of you who've forgotten, Trump was banned by all three platforms For his false claims about last year's election, which they said led to the January 6th Capitol insurrection. So on its face, Trump and others in this class action lawsuit seem to be saying they have a First Amendment right to lie. Beyond that, the first word of that amendment refers not to Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. It says Congress, Trump's lawyers are arguing that because the companies benefit from Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act that shields them from liability, they have somehow morphed into instruments of the government. They've even managed to get no less a personage than Alan Dershowitz to say this lawsuit is important. Why? Uh, I'm not quite sure. He, He didn't really explain it that well. But Can it win? I seriously doubt it. I think this lawsuit's going to sink without a trace. If Donald Trump wants to keep the focus of America's attention on him, he'll have to find another way to do it. He has a couple of, he's had, that is, a couple of rallies lately, and even Fox News wouldn't cover them end to end. And that's what this man fears more than anything else. Irrelevance is frightening to him even though he remains dangerous to democracy, little by little, he's running out of steam. And that's what this lawsuit is all about. Why are these platforms so important to Donald Trump? Especially since there have been a spate of social media platforms that actually cater to and seek to curry favor with his base. He doesn't need them, theoretically. He doesn't need Facebook or Twitter or YouTube. He's got all these other nameless, faceless social media platforms to spew his tired, fetid, repetitious act. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Intersection. The executive producer of the broadcast is Ms. Kim Jack Riley. Music is by Eric Lund. Until we meet again, please stay well.